have to change the people. And they went right back when he was gone. This is uh, a famous verse out of Jeremiah, which is, uh, is so condemning. Remember, Israel at this point has been destroyed because for their wickedness. And Judah, they got saved. Hey, we got saved. I don't know about you guys in the north, but we got saved by God. Thank you very much. Well, let's read about that. Then the Lord said to me in the days of Josiah the king, have you ever seen what faithless Israel in the north, ten tribes, did? She went up on every high hill and under every green tree, and she was a harlot there. I thought, after she has done all these things, she will return to me, says the Lord. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah in the south saw that. They saw what was happening in the north. And I saw, and God saw that for all the adulteries of faithless Israel, I had sent her away and given her a writ of divorce. God divorced the northern ten tribes and then basically stoned her to death. Yet her treacherous, yet Israel's treacherous sister Judah did not fear. They saw all this and it didn't affect them at all. But she went and was a harlot also because of the lightness of her holler tree. She polluted the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. Yet in spite of all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but rather in deception, declares the Lord. And the Lord said to me, and this is the kicker, northern evil Israel, faithless evil northern Israel has proved herself more righteous than Judah in the south. And Judah thought they were all that. So what is God going to do? This is one of many. Thus says the Lord to his people, even so they, Judah, have loved to wander. They have not kept their feet in check. Therefore, the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and will call their sins into account. Aren't we used to the New Testament where God says, I will forget your iniquity. I will not call your sins into account. This is the opposite. I will remember your iniquity and I will call your sins into account. So the Lord said to me, Jeremiah, and this is another one. God says to Jeremiah, do not pray for the welfare of this people. When they fast, I am not going to listen to their cry. And when they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I am not going to accept them. Rather, I am going to make an end of them by the sword, famine, and pestilence. When God says, don't even bother praying to me anymore, that's how bad it is. That's not, those words are just tragic. Now we're getting into no more talk. Judgment didn't quite fit. Judgment. Destruction, death, and exile. That's what's coming their way, and it's here. This is Judah, the southern two tribes, being destroyed by Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. Exile, so what's happening? No more, no more talk. It's here. Exile from God's promised land. Remember, they had been brought into the promised land as God's people. Now they're being kicked out. The exile happens in three phases. In the first phase, around 606 B.C., Daniel is taken along with other choice youth. The analogy is, as much as you may or may not like Ivy League schools, it's like, it's like Russia coming in, taking over the United States, and taking all the, the, all the graduate students from Harvard, Princeton, and Yale, and taking them back to Moscow. Because he says, you know, we need this intellectual power, and these guys are smart and they're educated. Oh, my gosh, what a resource. You don't throw that away. So that's kind of the analogy there. It is. Second phase, 597 BC, 
a little more of the common folk. Ezekiel's a little more of a common folk. Ezekiel is taken in that captivity, and he writes his book in captivity. And then the third phase is enough. We're done. And Nebuchadnezzar destroys Jerusalem. This is the part that Judah just couldn't even get. God destroys his temple and city. God brings death to his own people. And God exiles his own people both. Some die, some get exiled. Judah thought that God would never destroy his temple. It was, it was their ace in the hole. In fact, God's glory is described as leaving the temple in the book of Ezekiel prior to the exile. That's a very interesting read. That they could cry out and God would protect his people despite their wickedness and idolatry. It's like, oh, we can wait till the last moment, put Jesus in our pocket. When we need him, cry out and he's going to jump to our bidding. They thought, oh yeah, that's going to happen. No problem. What happened? Thus declares the Lord, the corpses of men will fall like dung on the open field and like the shear after the reaper, but no one will gather them. Corpses are like just rotten feces all over the place. That's what God thinks of these people. God exiles his own people. Judah was in God's promised land and never thought that they could be driven out. Despite God's explicit warnings by Moses, like in Deuteronomy, and their short-term memory, they didn't look north to what happened to the northern ten tribes. Which is what Jeremiah, God through Jeremiah, just told them. Did you not pay attention? Israel and Judah were driven out of the promised land just like the Canaanites had been before by Joshua. They thought they were special. I can do whatever I want. Oh, here we go. As Samuel yesterday gave a wonderful lesson, the Ark of the Covenant was stolen during the time of Eli, the priest, nearly 500 years before Jeremiah. Israel assumed that they could use the Ark of the Covenant as this magic talisman, I think it was called, or as a guarantee, the Ark of the Covenant is a guarantee of God's protection and provision for victory. Instead, the ark was stolen in this battle, and the army of Israel was massacred. So Judah apparently forgot that, because Judah made the same bad assumption with the temple of God in Jerusalem. They assumed that Jerusalem could not be destroyed by Babylon because God would defend his temple. We have an ace and a hole. We have God cornered. He has no way out. We got him. We can do whatever we want, and we have God cornered. They were wrong. God abandoned his temple, again, as described in Ezekiel. When the Babylonians came and destroyed it, as one uh, speaker said, it was just masonry. Meaningless masonry. They knocked down this temple. What's, what's this building? And they just tore it down. More history, but now lamentations. Remember, so now we have three exiles. Now everything has happened. Lamentations, and eventually Jeremiah is forced to Egypt. Lamentations. In the book of Lamentations, this is what Jeremiah says. He said, again, I picture him sitting on a rock in Jerusalem looking at the horrors of destruction. Better are those slain with a sword than those slain with hunger. For they pine away being stricken for lack of the fruits of the field. The hands of compassionate women boiled their own children. This actually happened. They became food for them because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. The Lord has accomplished his wrath. He has poured out his fierce anger, and he has kindled the fire in Zion, which has consumed its foundations. And then later it says, at the end of the book of Lamentations, the very end, it says, Restore us to you, O Lord, that we may be restored. 
renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are exceedingly angry with us. And that's the end of the book. They're not sure. Jerusalem is now dead. It's dead. Prophecies of doom, that's in the past. They're fulfilled, and that's all in the past. We're done. God came through, and he wiped them out like he said he was, going all the way back to the warnings of Moses, mind you. It's interesting. Lamentation says that there's no law. Why would it say there's no law? Well, there's no city, no temple, no priesthood, and no people. There's no law. And, of course, if you know the Jews, they, there was a dependency on the temple for sacrifices, and that's all gone. God took Israel and Judah and went, boom, you're out. And think about this from a point of a Jew in exile. Utter discouragement. God's people were now completely gone. It's like we've been kicked out of the promised land. No priesthood, no temple, no king. We have nothing. Now what? Can you imagine the discouragement of that? Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. This is two of the main ones that talk about it. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. In Jeremiah, he says, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. See, he not only lived a life of mockery and derision, and I don't know how you'd deal with that for a life, but he somehow also loved these people. Panic and pitfall have befallen us, devastation and destruction. My eyes run down with streams of water because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes pour down unceasingly, without stopping, until the Lord looks down and sees from heaven. It's like he's going to cry until the Lord looks down. And then Jeremiah says it again. Listen, just listen, please. Lamentations. This is Jeremiah speaking. I am the man who has seen affliction because of the rod of God's wrath. God has driven me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely against me, God has turned his hand repeatedly all the day. God has caused my flesh and my skin to waste away. God has broken my bones. God has besieged and encompassed me with bitterness and hardship. In dark places, God has made me dwell like those who have long been dead. God has walled me in so that I cannot go out. God has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry out and call for help, God shuts out my prayer. God has blocked my ways with hewn stone. God has made my paths crooked. Remember how it talks about John the Baptist is going to do for Jesus? He goes to make his path straight. Well, Jeremiah says, God is making my paths crooked. God is, to me, like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in secret places. God has turned aside my ways and torn me to pieces. God has made me desolate. God bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. God made the arrows of his quiver to enter into my inward parts. I have become a laughingstock to all my people, their mocking song all the day. God has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drunk with wormwood. God has broken my teeth with gravel. He has made me cower in the dust. My soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. So I say my strength has perished, and so has my hope from the Lord. 
That's Jeremiah's life. That is Jeremiah's life. But then he says, Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and the bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. He's hurting. Yet. This I recall to my mind. Therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. New every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. Great is thy faithfulness. That's where those words come from. He's in Jerusalem looking at the corpses of a dead city. And he writes that. Elijah and Jonah yesterday talked about, Elijah says, we the prophets get tired. Jonah says, how many prophets wanted to die? What do you think of what do you think Jeremiah thought about that? He wanted to join. Remember, he says, I, why didn't you kill me in my womb? God's consecrated me from my mom's womb? Well, you guess what? I wish somebody would have killed me in my mom's womb. It just left me there. Jeremiah's final recorded history. The leftover, there were some people left in, not many. Some people were left in Jerusalem. Those leftover people of Judah slew their Babylonian local leader named Gedaliah. And then they realized, well, they're probably in trouble now. Then they asked Jeremiah to ask God for guidance on what should we do next. So they, they kill the leader, the, the local governor that Babylonians put in charge. And they go, uh-oh, what are we going to do next? Let's go to Jeremiah. The guy we've scorned for 40 years. Jeremiah says, then answers, okay, okay, I'll, I'll pray. He prays, and then this is what God said. Dear people, you Jews that are still here, there's few of you that are left. Stay here, and, and, and I'll, I will bless you. God says, stay here, and I will bless you. Don't be worried. I will bless you. Whatever you do, don't go to Egypt. The people decide. What do you think they decided? Let's go to Egypt. And that was after calling Jeremiah a liar, because they thought that he was like in cahoots with Babylon, because he told the kings, hey, hey, submit to Babylon and to Nebuchadnezzar because that's what God wants. And they're like, oh, you're with the enemy. You're a Russian or whatever. Whatever. You're with the enemy. What would we trust you? You're a liar. The people, and then the people forced Jeremiah to go to Egypt with them. Don't miss, now this is just me talking, not Jeremiah, this is just me. Don't miss the tragic spiritual irony here. In the Exodus, with Moses, a thousand years before this, the Jews left Egypt by the power of God and eventually entered the promised land. In the exile, the Jews were removed from the promised land and the remaining people of Judah disobey God and make their way back to Egypt for protection. Are you kidding me? They've gone full circle a thousand years later. Let's go back to Egypt. Do you see the spiritual irony there? Jeremiah probably dies in Egypt, but we don't know for sure. One tradition is that he is stoned to death in Egypt. Eventually, they shut him up. That's the last part of your uh, timeline there. After Jeremiah is dead. Jeremiah is now dead. However, 
Jerusalem is destroyed in 586 B.C. by Babylon. Jeremiah prophesied of it. Jeremiah wept over it. And God wrote about it through Jeremiah, amongst others. Let's not forget something obvious. Jerusalem was destroyed again in 70 A.D., this time by Rome. Jesus prophesied of it. Jesus wept over it. And God wrote about it through Revelation. That's what everybody argues about. I think that's what the book of Revelation is all about. The destruction of Jerusalem. But that's just me.